You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. President Trump is mad at Twitter. Again. And this time, he's using his office to punish it. On Thursday, the president signed an executive order that aims to alter how social media is regulated as a whole. Today, Trump signed an executive order with vastly unclear enforcement power that could lead to penalties for social media companies that fail to police content. My executive order calls for new regulations under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act to make it that social media companies that engage in censoring or any political conduct will not be able to keep their liability shield. The move is a direct response to Twitter's decision on Tuesday to treat a series of tweets by the president a little bit differently than it normally treats his tweets. Breaking news. Twitter fact-checking the president for the first time, fact-checking links to President Trump's tweets about mail-in voting. As you can see, Twitter now prompting users to get the facts about mail-in ballots uh, because what the president had tweeted wasn't true. Tonight, Trump responding on Twitter, of course, writing, Twitter is completely stifling free speech and I, as president, won't allow it to happen. The executive order hasn't stopped Twitter. The social media platform doubled down on this early Friday morning by adding a label to one of the president's tweets about the protests against police violence in Minneapolis. Over the last few hours or so, the White House has really escalated this feud with Twitter after Twitter popped on that warning label onto one of the President Trump's tweets that he posted overnight, which said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Twitter said, quote, this tweet violated the Twitter rules about glorifying violence. However, Twitter has determined that it may be in the public's interest for the tweet to remain accessible. When it comes to the president's tweets, all of this is unprecedented for Twitter. So today on the show, We're going to go deep on Trump versus Twitter. We're going to explain how President Trump's feud with Twitter got to this point and what this executive order actually means for social media. I'm Ariel Zimros. This is Reset. So what was your reaction when you first saw the fact check? I think I opened a file to start a story. Kate Conger, technology reporter for The New York Times. It's first thing in the morning on Friday, May 29th. And based on your recent articles and recent updates to your articles, it looks like you've had quite a, a long 24 hours. What happened on Twitter on Thursday night? So Thursday night, the president tweeted about the protests in Minneapolis and Twitter determined that his tweet violated its rules about glorifying violence. And so it added a label to the tweet saying that it violates our rules, but we think it's in the public interest for it to remain available. Can you describe what this label looks like? It's basically just sort of a a little gray box that sits where you would normally see the text of the tweet. 
and it spells out, you know, what rule the tweet violated and why it's still on the service. And then there's a little link if you want to read more about their policy. And then there's a click through. So if you've read the label and you decided, you know what, I want to see this tweet anyway, you can click view and then it'll display the tweet. Is this content warning on this tweet about these uh, protests in Minneapolis, is that a first for Twitter? So Twitter has done this kind of label on tweets from other world leaders. They will do it not just for violence, but um, for misinformation about the coronavirus and for other content that violates their policies. So they've done it a few other times before, but this is the first time that they have labeled one of President Trump's tweets in this way. Okay, where they've kind of made it a little bit harder to access, basically, right? Yeah, they're basically saying, you know, we don't think this content is allowed on the platform, but because, you know, he's such a subject of public debate and discourse, it's important for it to remain accessible in some way. This thing between President Trump and and Twitter, though, this has been going on and it's been in the news all of this week. Can you tell me what else went down? This back and forth with Trump and Twitter started late Tuesday. They decided to add a fact check to one of his tweets. He's been talking a lot about mail-in voting and how that, that could cause widespread voter fraud. And he had posted some tweets about that, that Twitter decided violated its rules and put out information that was not correct about how people could get their ballots. Mm -hmm. And so they ended up putting just a a little link at the bottom of the tweet saying, you know, get the facts about mail-in ballots. And if you click it, it would lead to information saying that the claims that he made in the tweet were false and directing you to other news articles about um, mail-in voting. And this upset him tremendously. I mean, he started tweeting about it right away, Hmm. saying that Twitter was, you know, um, trying to meddle in the election and trying to censor him. And there's been this kind of ongoing drumbeat about, you know, whether or not conservative voices are being censored on the platform. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of discussion about this last year and some talk about whether or not he could do an executive order to do something about it. So so once Twitter labeled one of the president's tweets, that executive order talk kind of became revitalized. And he and the administration started putting together an executive order to try to punish Twitter and other social media companies and, and to stop them from interfering with his posts in any way. Why do you think Twitter suddenly decided that right now is the right time to fact check the president when he's done this kind of thing before? I think Twitter has wanted to be really careful about how it approaches Trump. You know, they have um, a very unique relationship with the president. He has really, I think, in a lot of ways, raised the profile of the company because he relies on it to communicate United States policy. So I think it has been difficult for Twitter to take action on his tweets They're also kind of hamstrung by the fact that they can only take action on tweets that violate their current policies. So so Twitter does not have a policy against conspiracy theory at this point. They do have a policy against election interference and discouraging people from voting. So because they have that policy in place, when the president is tweeting about mail-in ballots, there's a policy they can point to and say, hey... You know, this policy has been there. It's been established. These tweets violate it. We're going to take action on them. 
What exactly does this executive order aim to do and who or what is it trying to protect? The executive order focuses on mainly on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is a law that gives platforms like Twitter and Facebook a lot of freedom to regulate and to remove content from their platforms. The idea of it is that you don't want a social media company to be liable for everything their users post, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because if they had to vet every single post, you know, is this liable? Is this slander? Is this some other kind of content that we could get sued for? There would be this very long review process and you couldn't just let social media happen, right? If you had to wait two or three days for your tweet to sit in a queue so someone could review it and say, yes, okay, we can publish this, um, the whole thing just would not work. Right. There are a lot of people who say that Section 230 and and those specific words that relate to social media platforms and the internet in there are are the thing that allows the internet to exist. Right. I mean, it it allows a lot of social media and, you know, other, other technology to function the way that it currently does. Lately, in the last year or so, there's been more and more talk about trying to make changes to Section 230 as ways to rein in big tech. And you hear this on the right and the left. You know, there's been a lot of scrutiny over the years about the power that these companies have amassed and whether or not there's enough government checks on their behavior. And so there's started to be some chatter about, okay, maybe we need to revisit this law and make some changes. So, Kate, did he actually sign the order? Yes, he signed it on Thursday. What argument is President Trump making in this executive order to make these changes? What is he proposing? Uh, How is that going to work? He's proposing a few things. One of them is to have federal agencies review their budgets and see, you know, how much money they are spending on advertising on social media platforms and then sort of submit that for review so that the government can decide whether or not it's spending money on platforms that, quote unquote, censor speech. Right. So that's one avenue that he's put forward. The other is to sort of suggest to the Federal Trade Commission that they take up an investigation that looks at unfair business practices. The idea is to look at, you know, whether or not Twitter is misleading its users, saying, you know, you can come onto the platform and say whatever you want, and then later taking down their content. And then the the third thing he's proposed is to ask the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, to open a rulemaking proceeding. And the way this works, anyone really can ask the FCC to look at an issue and that opens a public comment process. So it's a good way to sort of drum up support for his cause, to ask, you know, his supporters to leave comments and to weigh in on this public comment process and to sort of give their support to bringing in some kind of new regulation on social media. What do you think Trump's real goal is here by going after Section 230? Well, the way the executive order lays it out, you know, he's talking about wanting to defend free speech as an American value. And, you know, he says that these companies are censoring conservative voices, and so he wants to protect them. And I think the executive order is sort of a way to warn social media companies that if they do this kind of thing, if they challenge him, you know, if they don't give him an unfiltered platform where he can speak freely, that he will try to crack down on them and he will try to regulate them. So I see the order not as a way to actually legally achieve those ends, but to sort of um, achieve them through sort of more of a process of intimidation saying, hey, you know, 
if you're going to do this, we are also going to take action. Does President Trump have the authority to make these changes on his own? The president himself can't alter Section 230. Uh, Congress would need to take that up and make amendments to the law if they chose to do so. Um, and, And that's something that he's asking for Congress to do. And there are people in Congress who might do that. But he can't just, you know, wake up one day and say, I don't like this law. Let's get rid of it. There's one part of this executive order in particular that I think is really important for folks to understand. One of the arguments that Trump is making is that because Twitter has decided to fact check him, it's now acting like a publisher. And from what I understand, that means that in Trump's eyes, Twitter should no longer be protected from liability. Am I getting that right? This is an interesting reading of 230 that I've seen a lot in sort of Republican circles. Basically, the argument that they put forward is, you know, with all of the rules that Twitter is imposing, it is becoming an edited platform. It's not being neutral. And so it's behaving as a publisher and it doesn't get these privileges that Section 230 provides, these these exemptions from legal liability. So, you know, for a publisher like you, for example, or me, for example, you know, in, in our work, we need to make sure that the information contained is factual, that it's not libelous, that it's not slanderous, and go through very rigorous fact-checking to make sure that's the case before we publish it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if we make a mistake, someone can come along and sue. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case for Twitter. But that argument sort of hinges on this idea that Twitter is editing the content And Twitter isn't going in and and making changes to the language that the president has used or they're adding these labels and adding additional context sort of around the tweet. Right. And so I don't know how that argument that they are an editor that's um, really manipulating or changing the content. I don't know how that would play out in a court. Um, and it's it's something I'm interested to see, you know, if if this does end up making it into into the courts what a judge would think about that argument and whether, you know, a judge would agree with the president that adding additional speech next to your speech is an edit or, you know, if that's just the company also exercising its First Amendment rights. I'm glad you brought that up because a word that's been used a lot surrounding this debate is is the word censorship. And I've struggled with the idea that adding a link to a tweet without altering the tweet should be considered censorship. So do you think that the president's right to free speech has been impacted because of this fact check on his tweets or because of this label that was added to the Minneapolis tweet? You know, there's there's the perception on social media that's in flux right now. Some people think of social media as, you know, these private companies, they can do whatever they want. Some people think about them more as like a public space, you know, or a town square where that is essential for political discourse. And so I think that's where people start to get the idea of, you know, this is essential. This is the public square. And and so I have a right to speak here or I'm entitled to speak here in the way that I choose. Um, That's not the way that the law currently looks at these companies. But I think There is, again, some push in some political circles to say, you know what, these companies are so essential to public discourse that we should treat them as a utility and and regulate them more more stridently than we have with other companies. Right, because the way the law looks at these companies, from what I understand, is right now they say 
Twitter can basically ban whoever they want. They can do whatever they want because it's not like they're actually stopping people from saying things. They're just stopping people from saying things on their platform. And so therefore, they are not violating free speech when they ban someone or uh, take down a tweet. That's the argument, right? Yeah, that is the argument. And and the First Amendment also really focuses on censorship from the government. You know, it, it doesn't look a lot at censorship from private companies. It talks about, you know, ways that the government should not limit your speech. I don't think a lawyer would say that you have the same rights to speech on Twitter or on Facebook that you do in public or the same protections that you have against Twitter that you do against a government censor. Okay, so the censorship argument is a really interesting one. And now the U.S. government and social media platforms have to figure out how to respond. But it's worth asking, what would the internet look like if Trump got his way? That's after the break. This is Reset. Just after this initial showdown between President Trump and Twitter, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook said this in an interview with Fox News. You know, I, I just believe strongly that uh, that Facebook shouldn't be uh, the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. Um, I think in general, private companies probably shouldn't be, or especially these platform companies, shouldn't be in the position of, of, of doing that. So Kate Conger, tech reporter for The New York Times, we know where Zuckerberg stands. But broadly speaking, how have tech companies responded to the threat of this executive order? Tech companies have responded to this by, you know, explaining once again that Section 230 is very vital and that they're very concerned about the actions that the executive order lays out. I think that Zuckerberg's comments are sort of funny because Facebook fact checks a lot. I, I, I see Zuckerberg's comments as a very savvy political move to go on a network that he knows the president enjoys watching and say, you know, we would never hmm. do this when, in fact, that's not really the case. Right. I, I was just going to say fact checking on social media is, is not new. YouTube does a version of it where, you know, if you have a climate change video, Regardless of the content, they will explain what climate change is right below it. Facebook also does fact-checking. Basically, Twitter's sort of behind the times right now, and they're just catching up. Yeah, Twitter has been very hands-off about the platform for a very long time. And, and this goes back sort of deep in the Twitter archives. But, you know, they really, when they started, wanted to be a very open platform. And I think... That was informed a lot by the ideals of the internet at that time. This would be this new open communication platform where everyone could speak very freely and that would sort of lead to enlightenment and, you know, advancements in discourse and allow people to connect across the world. And it didn't really play out that way, right? We know that then Twitter in particular became a tool that was weaponized for extreme harassment campaigns. You know, we've seen the ways that social media has been manipulated and in, in elections used in mass shootings to sort of spread propaganda videos. 
And so, you know, the thinking that early Twitter was molded under has changed a lot. Some of the things that the president hopes to do with this executive order is sort of involve the Federal Communications Commission in all of this. So how have the folks at the FCC responded to this? It will be really interesting to see how the FCC chooses to act in this scenario and if they choose to act at all. They don't have to take up the rulemaking, but they might. And if they do, I'm really interested to see what their framework is for doing that, because very recently the FCC argued that it didn't really have the jurisdiction to regulate Internet companies. But now if it wants to take up this rulemaking, it's going to have to sort of flip that thinking and say, we didn't have the jurisdiction to regulate the Internet service providers, but we do have the jurisdiction to regulate the social media companies. Okay, so that's the FCC. What about Trump supporters? What do conservatives think of all of this? I think a lot of his supporters are really excited. This has been brewing for a long time. There are a lot of people who were strong supporters of the president on social media during the 2016 election and the campaign leading up to that, who over the years have dropped off the platform because Twitter has banned them. So so this drumbeat of conservative censorship has been going on for a very long time. And the president held a social media summit at the White House last year, I believe in this summer, and invited a lot of his supporters to come and to talk about their experiences with social media and the ways that they felt that they had been censored. Hmm. So they'd sort of collected all of this data about the social media companies and, and, and thought about ways that they could take action on the quote unquote censorship issue for a very long time. So, Kate, is there any sense that this executive order actually has legs? What are legal experts saying about its chances of actually getting anywhere? A lot of people have taken a look at this and said, you know, this is fairly toothless. The portion of the executive order that has the most strength is the the portion that orders agencies to review their spending on social media advertising. That is something Mm. that the president can do. And there's a lot of precedent for the government making sure that its dollars are spent in a way that advances its policy goals. The rest of it kind of depends on how these agencies act. The FCC and the FTC are both independent agencies, and and they don't have to take direction from the president. It is kind of now up to the FCC and the FTC um, to figure out how they want to act on this executive order. And it's up to Congress, you know, to decide whether or not they want to make any changes actually to the law. I'm Wondering, though, hypothetically, if the president's executive order actually does change Section 230 or or does something of that nature and he's successful, which, as we've said, is a big if, what would that look like? How would the Internet be different? I mean, let's just say Section 230 is completely repealed and that protection no longer exists. Let's just go to the extreme example and say, okay, no more 230. What does the world look like? Section 230 isn't the only thing protecting these companies. Like, they also can make First Amendment arguments here. So instead of going into court and very quickly saying, hey, we have a 230 protection, this lawsuit is not valid, getting the lawsuit dismissed, they have to sit there and make the First Amendment argument in every case. And that's a Mm. a longer litigation process. So Mm. it really raises the legal bills of these companies. It makes it easier to sue them. It means they're sitting in court all the time. And, you know, maybe companies like Google and Facebook have the legal budget to 
deal with that, but startups certainly don't. So I think one of the ways that this could really change the internet environment is make it very expensive and very, very difficult to start and grow a social media company. And I think it could also really change the way that social media companies handle their users' content on big platforms. Um, Maybe there's a review process every time you want to post to make sure that your content isn't violating any law. Which is actually fascinating, right? Because just to be clear, from what I understand and from where I stand, it sort of feels like the president is going after a law that he's benefited from quite a bit in the past. He's tweeted things that many people would argue violate Twitter's rules, but Twitter have allowed them to stay up. And if Twitter suddenly was liable for all of his posts, seems like they'd have to remove a lot more of them or maybe even ban him. Am I reading that right? Yeah, I think that that is a risk for the president. You know, if Twitter had to police his content in a way to prevent it from being defamatory or from being libelous, a lot more of his posts would likely have to be removed or not published on the platform at all, you know, because the company would be assuming legal liability for what he says and does. And so I think there is a reality where this could backfire on the president and really uh, chip away at the things that he's enjoyed about the platform. Kate Conger is a technology reporter for The New York Times. Kate, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Duemros. But you don't have to say it that way. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Martha Daniel, Skylar Swenson, and Will Reed produced the show this week. Amy Drozdowska is our editor. Our audio engineer is Eric Gomez. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. And we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds. <laughs>